0: Now if you've been here for the past several weeks, you know that our pastor has been preaching a series of sermons from the book of Acts that's uh, entitled, Transforming the Heart of the City. Now that is the theme of our capital campaign that we are now facing coming up, and as you've heard by now, our primary goal in this campaign is to have a spiritual impact on the city that will enable people to experience God's peace and spiritual prosperity. Charlie just prayed that. I mean, we stop and think about so many people in this city who just don't have what we have spiritually, much less materially, every other way. And so right at the core of everything we're trying to do as we're moving forward is we believe God put this church right here in the heart of this great city to have an impact on the city, to change the city. To see this city transformed and to let it prosper in the greatest sense of that word, spiritual prosperity, spiritual peace, shalom. And so that's our hope. That's our prayer behind this. Richard put it like this. He wrote these words. Today in Greenville's rapidly changing environment, we are prayerfully seeking god sustained leading and guiding as we develop new facilities. And here's the key. This is why we're doing it. And seek to transform the heart of this vibrant city through the impactful love of Christ encountered in the gospel. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And there's no question in order for us to do this, if there's going to be real transformation of the city, where does it start? It has to start with me. It has to start with you. It's personal transformation And that's why I wanted this morning to take this time to preach on this subject. What is transformation? What does transformation look like? And so that's the passage that we're going to to look at today. Cities and even countries, when you look over historically, cities and countries have been spiritually transformed through God's people through movements of renewal. And I am praying that desperately for our church And I'm praying that desperately for our community. And so we have to start with ourselves. We have to look at, well, what does transformation look like? How do I live a transformed life? We have to look at our own spiritual state. By the way, I'm absolutely convinced. I've been in ministry over 40 years. And I'm convinced I have never, ever had an opportunity in a ministry to have a greater impact than I think we have right now. And I say that with all seriousness. I think we have the great... It's a a once-in-a-generation opportunity to really have impact on this city. And that's why we need to take it seriously, and we need to start with our own spiritual state. So Paul addresses this. Chapter 12 of Romans, this is God's Word. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies... "...as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will." Now, Paul begins with a very, very radical statement. I think probably most of us over the years, we've read this, and we really haven't thought about what we're being asked here. But look at what the Scripture says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, now listen to it, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's radical I mean, you have to pick it up. You have to get the picture here. I mean, if we had an altar down here in the front, he is asking us to come and lay down our lives on the altar. That's what he's saying. Present your bodies as living sacrifices to put our lives on God's altar. Now, why in the world would we do such a thing? Well, the answer to that is found in this passage. Look at the phrase, in view of God's mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The basic motivation for our offering our bodies as living sacrifices is the mercy of God. Now, what do we mean by the mercy of God? God's mercy refers to the incredible truth That God does not give us what we deserve. That's what mercy means. In fact, let me make a distinction. There are these two wonderful words that we use in, in gospel language. We talk about the word grace and we talk about the word mercy. The word grace refers to what we get that we don't deserve, right? You learned it. It's God's unmerited favor. It's what we get that we don't deserve. It's, it's about his good favor, his gracious acceptance, his unending love, his rich compassions, all those things that we get that we don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is talking about what we don't get that we do deserve. Well, what do we deserve? We deserve his displeasure. We deserve his punishment and wrath. Because you remember what the scripture says. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And here's the reality of, look, here's the reality of it. Every one of us has failed. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a perfect person in this room. And therefore, we all stand guilty before a holy God. The problem with most of us is we have a hard time understanding the grievous nature of our sin before a holy God. And so what do we deserve? We deserve His wrath and punishment. But you know what? Because of His mercy, we don't get that. In fact, it is the mercy of God when we understand this. It's the mercy of God that melts the heart and motivates us to godliness. It's His mercy that melts our hearts and motivates us to godliness. And you want to see the ultimate expression of the mercy of God, you look at the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, this is the center of Christianity, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. It's about the cross of Jesus Christ. Because in order for us not to get what we deserve, God had to act on our behalf. And so what does he do? He had to pay an enormous price. Enormous price. He had to give his one and only son, whom he sent into this world to be our substitute. And what would Jesus experience for us? he would experience what he doesn't deserve, but what we do deserve. And and look, most of us in this room, you're like me. You've heard this a million times in your life. And there's a great danger that we begin to take it for granted. We begin to fail to see what the cross means. That there on the cross, the Son of God, perfect in every way, became the sacrifice who took all of our failures and our sin upon himself and he goes to that cross. Here's what I'm saying to you this morning. God's justice had to be satisfied in order for him to grant mercy. And so what happened on that cross is that Jesus Christ became sin for us and the wrath and punishment of God the justice of God, if you will, was placed upon him so that we could receive the mercy of God. Do you see it? And he did that. He bore God's justice so that we could be set free and we could receive God's mercy. We, in fact, get we don't get what we deserve because he took it for us. Now, that brings us then. Look, it's the mercy of God that motivates us to be willing to put our bodies, our lives, on God's altar. But what in the world does it mean to offer your bodies as living sacrifices? It's simply an outworking of what Jesus said when he said that if we're going to be followers of His, we are to deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow Him. Do you remember when He said those words? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow, take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, this is an outworking of it. What is he asking for here? To present your bodies as living sacrifice. I mean, that's a very graphic picture. What's he asking for? A total commitment a complete surrender of our lives to Him. And it's to be a continual sacrifice. It's to be an ongoing sacrifice. And and what Paul says is that when we do that, he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Well, Paul is talking here about sanctification. He's talking about that process of dying more and more to self so that we can live more and more for christ that's what sanctification is it means we have to put to death certain things in our lives our selfish desires our selfish motivations we have to be willing to put those to death so that we can be free to live for him he's talking about sanctification so then how practically do we do this that's the question this morning Present your body as living sacrifices. Well, how do we go about doing that? So he's going to answer it in a very practical way, first in a negative and then in a positive. So let's look at the negative first. What does he say here? We're going to present our bodies as living sacrifices. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Starts with a negative. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. He uses a Greek word, schemata. And that word meant mold it according to a pattern. We're not to be molded according to the pattern of the world. Now, some of you, if you've studied psychology, those of you who are educators, you've studied educational theory, you, you're familiar with the word schema. A schema has to do with a pattern of thought or a pattern of Behavior. And that's the word that's used here. Do not conform yourselves any longer to the pattern of thought or the pattern of behavior of this world. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm going to jump in a few minutes and say that nonconformity to the world doesn't primarily mean the external avoidance of worldly behavior. Certainly, that's included. But you can avoid all kinds of worldly behaviors and not be transformed. You see, that's what religion teaches. Religion teaches, simply says, change your behavior and God will like you. But you know what? It won't work. Because you can never do it in your own strength. Let me suffice it to say that Christians are called to be different. And in fact, what are we told? Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Christianity is counterculture. Now, let me get right down to it. Here's the deal, and I can speak from my own experience. I'm just going to speak from me. I know that this world puts incredible pressure on me to be a certain kind of person. And that pressure is to make me want to be selfish, And to do what I want to do. And to put myself first. And to be right all the time. It's what the world says. We live under that pressure. And he's saying we have to get away from that. We can't love the world or the things that's in the world. That's the negative. Don't be conformed to the world. So what is the positive of this? Here it is. Be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Be transformed. All right. I showed you the word pattern a minute ago, schemata. Don't be don't be conformed to the schemata, to the schema of the world, to the pattern of the world, but rather be transformed. Here's the word. It's the word from which we get our word metamorphosis. A metamorphosis means a radical change. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, do not be conformed to the schema of the world, but experience a metamorphosis. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm going to get a little bit technical here. The Greek language is very, very precise grammatically. In fact, one of the reasons I'm convinced in his sovereignty That God had the original scripture of the New Testament written in Greek language is because of the preciseness of it. And verb forms, especially. But you would even remember this in our English. You remember voices, the active and the passive voice? You remember that? Well, in this case, the Greek verb is in the present passive here, transform, present passive. Now, remember, active voice means it's something we act on, something we have something to do with. The passive is something we receive, right? So this is a passive voice. And what is this telling us? We can't bring this kind of change on ourselves. We can't create it in our own efforts. It's an inward work of the Holy Spirit. Is something that is done for you. It's something that is done in you. And so this radical change comes from the work of the Holy Spirit who changes us from the inside out. And you remember this verse, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what is he? He's a new creation. He's experienced a metamorphosis. Do you see it? It changes the affections of our hearts. It changes what we love. With me? It changes what we love. And secondly, it changes the way that we think. When there's this inward change that takes place, remember you can't create this, there's this inward change that takes place and all of a sudden you realize your affections change. You begin to love Jesus more than you love yourself because you begin to see His love for you. It's not that we first loved Him, but that He first loved us. And when you stop and think how much you are loved, how much Jesus loves you, that He was willing to go to that cross for you and suffer the very justice of God for you, when you realize His love for you, you can't help but fall in love for him. You see it? You begin to love him more than you love yourself. But it also changes the way that we think. Philippians 2 puts it like this. Have this mind in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mind. He I mean, uses that word. Has this mind in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. He changes the way we think. We begin to think like Jesus. And let me tell you, if you work through Philippians 2, if you work through that carefully, you're going to see that the key to that change in our thinking comes in this word, humility. Do you remember the passage? Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. It has to do with humility. I want to tell you something. There is no room in a Christian's mind or heart for pride when you get the gospel. Here is Jesus who is the king of all kings, right? King of kings, Lord of all kings, king of all kings. What did he become? He became a servant. He humbled himself. Can you begin to see, now you begin to see when transformation begins to take place, all of a sudden you start loving Jesus more than you love yourself, and you love the things that Jesus loves. And then you begin to think like him, and you no longer are thinking about you as number one. You begin to put other people first. And in fact, you begin to think with Jesus' mind about humility and serve. And we begin to think about how do we serve our city? How do we serve this? How do we serve our city? How do we serve each other? That's why we say all along with this capital campaign, this is not about us. It's about a way to serve our city. It's about a way to see the impactful work of the gospel flow out of this place throughout the streets of this city as people's lives are being changed and transformed. But I'm going to tell you something it has got to start with us. Changing the seat of the affections of our heart and changing the way that we think. John Piper said this. He said, transformation, now hang hang with me just a couple of minutes more. Transformation is not switching from the to-do list of the law. When Paul replaces the list, the works of the flesh, you remember in Galatians 5 when he starts listing all the works of the flesh? Paul says, he doesn't change Substitute the works of the law for the works of the flesh. He says, rather, he substitutes the fruit of the Spirit. This is critical to understand. Remember I said earlier, Christianity is not about changing one set of moral values and behaviors for another. It's not simply about that. What he's saying is this. That all of a sudden, when the Spirit does a work of transformation in your life, He begins to produce spiritual fruit in you. And you remember what that fruit is? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. We begin to experience those things inwardly. And it creates a life of humility and servanthood. It changes us from the inside out. In fact, Piper goes on to say this. The Christian alternative to immoral behaviors is not a new list of moral behaviors. It is the triumphant power and transformation of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not simply substituting another set of of moral behaviors. But rather it is this triumphant power and transformation of the Holy Spirit that takes place In our lives and so what is the key to this he says it's found in the renewing of your minds it's found in the renewing of our minds and it's only when the Holy Spirit renews our minds because you know our minds are fallen they work in opposition to God they're by nature not God worshipping they're self-worshipping and only the Holy Spirit can change that mind he saved us not because of righteous things we had done It's not just a, a new set of moral beliefs here, but because of his mercy, there's our word again, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, what do we do here in terms of Roman 12? I want to suggest these things. First of all, we join the Holy Spirit in what he's doing it's what Paul said on over in Philippians 2, verses 13 and 12 and 13, when he says, "Work out your salvation." Do you remember that? For it's God who is at work in you." He's saying, "There's a responsibility that we have. And I'll tell you what: When we begin to join the Holy Spirit in what He's doing, we will pursue Christ with all of our hearts. We're going to want Jesus more than we want anything else. And as we begin to pursue him, as we read and meditate upon the scriptures, we begin to see his beauty. We begin to see his love. We begin to experience his mercy. There are people in this room who are struggling with addictions. There are people in this room who have their hearts filled with idols things that you love more than you love Jesus. There are people in this room who are living with anger and bitterness over the past, and you can't seem to let that go. There are people in this room who are filled with fear and anxiety about the future. You don't know what's going to happen to you. I'm going to tell you something. When the Spirit of God moves in your life, He changes everything. He changes everything. He changes what we love. We'll fall in love with Jesus. We'll fall in love with Him. And we'll want Him more than we'll want anything else. And all of these other things will grow strangely dim as the hymn writer wrote in light of his beauty and grace, when that happens. You'll fall in love with him. And you know what? You're going to start thinking like him. It'll change the way that you think. You'll have a renewed power to let go of things that you've struggled with that you can't seem to let go of. Including past hurts and pain. You can let it go because he gives you that power. it's all about a transformed life it's all about being renewed in the spirit of your mind oh God we need victory and it's my prayer this morning I pray for renewal a renewal of our minds and a renewal of our hearts yes Lord for metamorphosis for trans, for transforming for transformation May the mind of Christ live in me day to day. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour. And may the peace of God, my Father, rule in my life in everything. And, oh, may the love of Jesus fill me. May his love fill me, even as the waters fill the sea. Thank you. Thank you for the hope of a new life in Christ, a transformed life. Lord, give it to us. We long for it. And may it flow out of the folks in this room all across this city this week. May the love of Jesus be evident. For we pray this in his name. Amen.